This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman, bringing clarity to Washington, D.C. news. We see corruption at every level in Washington. Exposing the deception plaguing our nation's capital. Not only what he told every Republican senator, but what he told the press over and over and over again was a simple lie and helping Christians stay informed about government. This puts a bigger burden on voters to go figure out what's actually going on. This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman on American Family Radio. Reining in the Supreme Court. That's what we'll be discussing on the show today. Good afternoon, everyone. You are listening to Exposing Washington, and I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Uh, Good to be with you this Saturday, Um, another edition of Exposing Washington. I looked the other day, and we have, uh, this is our 25th or 26th episode of Exposing Washington. So it seems like yesterday that we started the show, that the show debuted, Uh, but it's been a couple months now. So good to be with you. Glad to have my faithful Exposing Washington listeners with me here each week at 2.30 Central on American Family Radio each Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Central. What we're going to talk about today is reining in the Supreme Court and how that can be done. There are multiple ways for that to be done, but one way to rein in the Supreme Court is to appoint new people on the Supreme Court, new judges on the Supreme Court and other courts, other courts across our country. A couple ways to keep up with the show. The first way is AFR.net. That's our website, AFR.net. On our website, at the top left corner, you'll see a podcast link. If you click on the podcast link, scroll down a little bit, you'll see Exposing Washington Podcast page. Click on that, and then you'll see all of my shows, all uh, 24, 25 episodes of Exposing Washington that we have recorded over the past few months. And you can click on those, listen to any one you want, and I also have links to a lot of the news stories I talk about on my podcast page. So you can read more into the news that I talk about if maybe you want more information or want to look at some, some facts uh, regarding the topics that I talk about. You can find all that at AFR.net on the podcast page for Exposing Washington. Another way you can keep up with the show is follow me on Twitter at Walker Wildman on Twitter at Walker Wildman on Twitter. Lastly, you can email the show, exposingwashington at AFR.net. Exposingwashington at AFR.net is my email email address, and it comes straight to my email inbox. So communicate with me that way. Uh, but, but getting started today, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court. But before we do so, I want to talk about a couple good news uh, items, uh, good news items on, on the show today. The first one is this Gallup poll. Gallup is a well-respected research firm, and they released a poll just a couple weeks ago before the July 4th break, and it stated that 55% of U.S. adults say that country's best days are ahead. So 55% of adults in the United States say that America's best days are yet ahead. Reading further into the headline, into the news story, this is from Breitbart.com, quoting, Those who said the best days are behind us came in at 41%. The last Gallup poll that asked this question was in December of 2012 when President Barack Obama was president. And at that point, only 47% of respondents 
answered that our country's better days were ahead. And so comparing, if you, if you watch the media coverage and you read a lot of the mainstream media headlines, you would think that our country is doomed. You would think that everything's going bad, the economy's bad, uh, you know, the morality or the moral status of our country is bad, and everything's, you know, doom and gloom. But if you actually ask the American citizens who are living in our country every day, going to work, raising their families, they say actually America's days, America's better days are yet ahead. So there's a whole uh, disconnect between what the American people as a whole think about our country and then what the elites in Washington, D.C. think about our country, specifically the Democrats. But changing the subject back on to uh, the Supreme Court, I want to talk about the Supreme Court for most of the show today. And as you know, there was a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Uh, Judge uh, Justice Kennedy is set to retire July 31st. But the liberals and the Democrats don't seem to know what to do when it comes to this vacancy on the Supreme Court. And this is honestly their worst nightmare. Their worst nightmare being President Trump allowed to appoint someone who adheres to the Constitution on the Supreme Court. Because as we know, for decades, Democrats, liberals, those who don't agree with our Judeo-Christian value system in our country, those folks have idolized the judicial system and the Supreme Court. Well, what do I mean by that? What I mean is they've looked to the judicial system, they've looked to the court system to right all the wrongs that us conservatives have done in decades past. A couple examples, you see Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade, 1973, well, that was the Supreme Court. They made it, quote, legalized to kill uh, unborn children. Well, that was through the court system. There wasn't a state, there wasn't our U.S. Congress, it wasn't our U.S. Congress who passed a law that said it's okay to kill babies in their mother's womb. No, that was a, a total court-made decision. If you read state laws across the country, you will not find in one place, I don't believe, some kind of law that says it's okay to kill unborn children. No, that, that's a court-made decision, and it originated from the court system. And so that's one way, one case, that, that the liberals have used the courts to get what they want. Another way that we know most recently in recent years is the Obergefell marriage decision. And that decision, once again, stemmed from multiple states, 30-plus states in our, in, our, in our country, passed these constitutional marriage amendments. And even California passed Proposition 8. And the, 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 the liberals didn't like it. And instead of going back to the ballot box and trying to convince their fellow citizens that marriage is somehow not between one man and one woman, well, they resorted to the judicial system, and they won. They made it all the way to, to the Supreme Court in 2015, and the Supreme Court ruled on something it shouldn't have ruled on, and they said that marriage can be basically between anyone, any two individuals. Now, their basis there was very faulty, but nonetheless, they're the Supreme Court. And so the court system has been 
uh, ruling unconstitutionally for years now, for decades. And so we're starting to see the pendulum swing in the opposite direction. And those who have relied so heavily on activist judges, they're really experiencing their worst nightmare. And one of the main reasons, as I mentioned, that Democrats, liberals, progressives, they call themselves progressives, but they're really regressives, according to our own Abe Hamilton. The reason they had to use the court system to get their agenda implemented is because they didn't have the widespread support of the American people. They didn't have the widespread support of the American people. But if you want a glimpse, if you want a glimpse at what our Supreme Court's going to look like in the next few years, let's listen to clip one. This is a CNN commentator, Jeffrey Tubin, and he is essentially saying that Roe versus Wade is doomed. Let's listen. I, I think sometimes we talk about Supreme Court it, it, too much in abstractions about dignity and who's qualified and who's not qualified. Let's talk facts. Let's talk about what America is going to be like that's different. You are going to see 20 states pass laws banning abortion outright, just banning abortion, and because they know that there are now going to be five votes on the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. And abortion will be illegal in a significant part of the United States in, in 18 months. There is just no doubt about that. And that's why these seats matter so much, uh, because um, they, 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 you know, one of my favorite lines about the Supreme Court was by Justice Robert Jackson, uh, who served on the court in the 1940s and 50s, and he said, we are not final because we are infallible, we are infallible because we are final. <laughs> Somebody has the last word, and here it's the Supreme Court, and right. Roe v. Wade is doomed. It is gone because Donald Trump won the election. Well, there you have it. CNN commentator Jeffrey Tubin says, quote, Roe v. Wade is doomed because America elected President Donald Trump. And to that, I would say, praise God and amen, because it's about time that Roe versus Wade is overturned. It's been too many millions of babies have been murdered in this country, and it's way, way past time. It's 40 years overdue that Roe versus Wade is overturned, 40 plus years. And so even, even the left knows that this is not looking good for them. And, and another thing, another couple uh, things that I want to mention on this subject before we move on a little bit is two points that I want to make here. Is, here's my couple points. Conservatives, Christians, those who believe in the Bible and that our country and, and individuals should live out their, their faith according to the Scripture— we believe that the best route to enforce an agenda or what we think is right, morally right, the best way to do that is through we the people, meaning convincing our neighbors, our fellow churchgoers, our friends, even those who disagree with us. The best way to do things in our country is to convince those people that our way, our beliefs, are the best beliefs, are the most moral beliefs. And so that's how Christians believe we should operate. So we don't resort to the judicial system to force everybody else we disagree with to go along with us. No, we try to convince them through the democratic process. 
and go to the voting booth. But liberals believe that the best route to enforce their agenda is through the judicial system and through the top-down, through the administrative state. Two totally separate worldviews and two totally different uh, ways to govern. But moving on here, along the same lines with the Supreme Court, is there's this debate now about how many Republican senators will vote against President Trump's Supreme Court nominee. And I honestly hope that none of the uh, Republican members, Republican senators, vote against the Supreme Court nominee because, honestly, we, can't, uh, uh, we don't have any room for any defections. There's 51 Republican senators, and there's 49, technically there's 48 Democrats, and there's one independent, but the independent, Bernie Sanders, votes with the Democrats on everything. So he's not really an independent. So we have 49 Democrats and 51 uh, Republican senators. Well, one of the Republican senators, and I don't agree with this, Senator John McCain has been in Arizona for over six months now and has not voted one time in the last six months. So I have sympathy because of his terminal illness, his terminal cancer that he has. I've talked about it on the show. Um, But I don't agree that he should hold his vote hostage in Arizona if he's not physically capable of voting because you're taking a vote away from the people of Arizona. And so I think he should hand off, he should retire and they should have a retirement ceremony honoring his service to our country and then the governor should appoint someone or they should hold a special election. But back on back on topic here, there's not much room, there's not any room to lose Republican votes when it comes to confirming the Supreme Court nominee. With Senator John McCain out, that puts us down to 50 Republican votes. Well, guess how many you need to pass a, a, a Supreme Court justice? You need 50. And, and, and then we have Vice President Mike Pence who can come over and cast the 51st vote to pass the Supreme Court nominee. And so that all being said, Senator Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, She's kind of been on the fence. We don't know who she's going to vote for and if she's going to vote for President Trump's nominee. And to prove that, we're going to listen to clip two. This is Senator Susan Collins of Maine on who she would like to see nominated. Let's listen. I want to start on the White House meeting you had with President Trump on Thursday night about that Supreme Court vacancy. It's no secret that you could be a, if not the, deciding vote on this nomination. What did President Trump tell you to try to get your vote? Well, the president really was soliciting my views on the type of nominee that I was looking for. I emphasized that I wanted a nominee who would respect precedent, a fundamental tenet of our judicial system. I also encouraged the president to broaden his list beyond uh, the list of 25 potential nominees that has been public for some time. Well, that that list of 25 names, uh, let's talk about it for one second. Are are you comfortable with everyone on that list? No, I am not. Now, some of the people on the list I have not vetted at all at this point. Uh, One of them I voted against years ago. uh, And I would have to do a great deal more work on many of them. Well, there you have it. That's Senator Susan Collins on CNN. I believe that's Jake Tapper. But Jake Tapper's given her these softball questions. And if you notice, when a conservative like a Senator Ted Cruz 
or even President Trump, when they go on these on these hostile networks, they get asked some very tough questions. And I think that's OK. But then you have Senator Susan Collins, who's basically a Democrat in Republican clothes. She goes on CNN and they ask her these softball questions. Heck, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she got the questions before she did the interview. And so they never really challenge. That's the problem with with our country is the journalists don't really ask hard questions. They only ask hard questions on those they disagree with. But those they agree with on policy, they don't ask hard questions. What I would have loved to ask Senator Susan Collins there, because she stressed the importance of, of, a, of a judge abiding by precedent. Precedent is, is in previous court rulings. And, and many think that precedent is the end-all, be-all. But I'll prove to you that it's not. But first, a great question that should have been asked of Senator Susan Collins is this. Do you believe that the Supreme Court should have abided by precedent precedent in Brown v. Board of Education? And if, if she would have been asked that, she would have totally fumbled that one. She would have, she would have probably wouldn't even have known, what, known what that is. And Brown versus Board of Education is what ended segregation in our public schools. Well, what case, you ask, uh, established segregation in our public schools? Well, that would have been Plessy v. Ferguson. So the Supreme Court, I believe in the, in the late 1800s, ruled in Plessy v. Ferguson that state-sponsored segregation was okay. Well, the Supreme Court, years later, decades later, turned around and reversed their own decision in Brown versus Board of Education, which ended segregation in public schools. Well, without over, overturning precedent, we would still have segregation in our public schools. So that question needs to be asked. And to prove that precedent, that previous court rulings are not the end-all, be-all, the Supreme Court has overruled itself over 150 times. The Supreme Court has overruled itself over 150 times. And so this whole idea that Roe versus Wade and same-sex, quote, marriage is the law of the land, it'll never be changed, we must abide by it, that is a fallacy. Because that can be overturned in a matter of minutes, in a matter of, of weeks or months, if you have the right case make its way up to the court system and you have judges who abide by our Constitution instead of their own personal philosophy or feelings. And, and, and another, another uh, thing to mention here is it is no, uh, no secret that, that the Democrats do not like um, do not like people who abide by the Constitution, uh, on the Supreme Court and on any court. Because if you abide by the Constitution, then many times the Constitution runs afoul of the, the, liberal, the liberal democratic agenda. Because many of the, of the items that the Democrats want done are unconstitutional and unlawful. But one more, one more point before I move on that the Supreme Court can overrule itself overrule its, its own rulings in years past is this just happened a couple weeks ago. And this was the case that had to do with forced union dues, forced public sector union dues.
So, back in 1977, I believe, the Supreme Court ruled that, that unions, public sector unions, could force employer, employees to pay union dues even if they didn't want to. And so for the past 20, 30, 40 years, we have had these unions, these public sector unions, basically taxing employees of these companies, of these public sector companies, and the, and the employees have had no option to opt out. And guess what the unions do with the money? They support Democratic candidates for office. And so let's fair, say, for example, myself, let's just say I worked for the city or the state, some public employer. Well, in years past, my money would be garnished, uh, my wage, a part of my salary of my paycheck each week or every month, whatever, would be sent to the union even if I didn't want it to go there. How unfair is that? Well, that was a Supreme Court ruling back in 1977. Well, just a couple weeks ago, the Supreme Court overruled itself. They overruled itself on that decision, and they essentially ruled that, uh, that public sector employees can keep their own money. And if they would like to voluntarily send their money to the unions, then they're welcome to do so. But it can, the unions can't tax the public sector employers, employees anymore. And so that's another example of the Supreme Court overruling itself on a very important decision. But moving on about the Senate uh, and the Democrats not liking those who adhere to the Constitution, let's listen to clip three. This is Senator Dianne Feinstein questioning a judicial nominee on, or really not questioning, stating how she believes her rulings are. Let's listen. When you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern when you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for for years in this country. So that's Senator Dianne Feinstein of California, I believe. And, and that's what, what she just said there about the dogma living loudly inside you. So there's two options here, and they're both not good for Senator Feinstein. When she says the dogma lives loudly inside you, by the way, she's talking about she's addressing Judge Amy C. Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett, who is going through the, the process to be on the Seventh Circuit of the United States Court of Appeals. And this was from months ago. And so Senator Feinstein there, when she says the dogma lives loudly inside you, she's talking about one of two things. She's either talking about the way that Judge Amy Barrett adheres to the Constitution and espouses constitutional values. Or she's talking about Judge Barrett's Catholic faith. The dogma lives loudly inside you. And so you see there, whichever one she's talking about, one of the two, it's not good for Senator Feinstein, because... The Constitution and the Catholic faith, there's nothing wrong with them. But Senator Feinstein says that the dogma lives loudly inside you as if that's some stain on Judge Barrett. And I think that ended up actually helping Judge Barrett because she, was, she became the victim of the democratic intolerance towards people of faith and people who adhere to the Constitution. Changing subjects here, but staying in Washington, D.C., Representative Jim Jordan, I think this is a very important story. Representative Jim Jordan, 
who who is a house of the who is a member. He's not a house. He's a member of the Freedom Caucus, the House Freedom Caucus in U, in U.S. Congress. He is from Ohio. Representative Jim Jordan is of Ohio, and he's uh he's running, or he we speculate that he is going to run for our House Speaker position, which is now held by by uh, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan is set to retire in January, which is long overdue in my opinion. But um, Jim Jordan is gaining a lot of influence and a lot of uh, notoriety in Washington. And so what do you know? A good man who loves our country, loves the Constitution, is now under attack by those who don't like him. Here's the headline. This is from Breitbart also. Law firm for DNC, Democratic National Committee, comma, Clinton campaign, Fusion GPS will question Jim Jordan on Ohio State wrestling team scandal. To set this up a little bit for you, and I won't take too much time, but there was a doctor at Ohio State University who was the team doctor for the wrestling team. Well, he passed away in 2005, but it's recently been revealed or alleged that there was sexual misconduct with him, that he was molesting, if you will, uh, these Really, they're men on the wrestling team. They're college men. And so I don't think there was necessarily physical uh, a sexual assault there, but he was, he was a, a sick guy, if you will, and that's what it's seeming, that's what it's looking like. But the doctor there has been accused of these various things, and there's an investigation into it on and on and on. But this law firm by the name of Perkins Coy, Perkins, C-O-I-E, this law firm has been obtained by Ohio State University to investigate these allegations and kind of figure out, get to the bottom of what happened here. Well, you might say, well, that's just a really good thing. That's a noble thing. And I think it is, except for who is this law firm? This is the same law firm who represented Hillary Clinton, the Democratic National Committee, and Fusion GPS. Well, Fusion GPS is the same folks who produced the opposition research on Donald Trump that was, uh, that was put forth by the Russians. It's the dossier, the phony dossier, which has been widely discredited. This is the same law firm who funneled the money from Hillary Clinton's campaign to Fusion GPS for that opposition research. And so this law firm... Its reputation is smeared, but nonetheless, it's going after Representative Jim Jordan. They're trying to drag him into this as if he knew about it. And the reason they're dragging him into it is because he was an assistant coach at the time of these of this sexual impropriety. But Representative Jim Jordan has said, I knew nothing about it. On multiple occasions, multiple occasions I knew nothing about it. And I know Representative Jordan, I've met him, I know people who know him personally, And I believe he is innocent in this matter. But nonetheless, those who do not like him will try to smear his character. Thank you, folks, for listening to Exposing Washington. We'll be back next Saturday exposing more of what's going on in our nation's capital with our taxpayer dollars. Stay tuned to American Family Radio. See you then.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.